looking it over, choosing a Nazarene University to attend, I really think I would be here. I mean, you've got Boston, you've got diversity, you've got history, you've got the ocean. Boston or Kansas City? <laughs> anyway, this is not being recorded today, so I can, I can say that, but uh, you're blessed to be here on this campus in such a, a great place and working with people like Corliss McGee and Corey McPherson. It's good to be with you, and uh, I always enjoy talking about my favorite subject in the world, which is the way that God calls people like you and me to be a part of his mission. And it's pretty amazing when you think about it that he would call um, weak and fearful and broken people like us and, and entrust us with something this important. And so he has to make some changes in us before he can use us in that way. And some of you are going to have an experience uh, this summer if you sign up for Youth and Mission that will uh, change your lives. For 10 years, I was a missionary to the Republic of Texas, and uh, I never fully mastered the language there, but uh, we had a great experience, and it was while we were pastoring in Texas that uh, God began to bring to our attention some realities in the world. And uh, when I heard missionaries uh, say things like, uh, one out of three people on this planet has never heard the good news about Christ. I always thought, you know, that can't be true. After all these years of missionary endeavor, and now we have jet travel and the internet and satellite communication and all this stuff, it can't be true that in this modern high-tech world that one out of three or three out of ten people have yet to understand the good news of the gospel through Jesus Christ. But the more I read, and the more people I talked to, and the more I researched it, the more it became clear to me that in our world today, because of political barriers that exist in communist nations and other places, and because of religious barriers with the radical Hindu and Muslim regimes that intentionally try to keep the gospel out, a great huge portion of the human family has missed their opportunity to hear the news that you and I cherish. And that really bothered me. I thought, surely, after 2,000 years, this can't be what the Lord had in mind. You know, when he told us to go and make disciples of all peoples and all nations. And so that began to work on my wife, Vicki, and me. And, and uh, we, couldn't, uh, we couldn't be quite comfortable again. We were in a town of 30,000 people that had about 30 churches, you know, one of every flavor for every possible religious taste. And yet I was hearing about places in the world that had no churches and few Christians and where those Christians served the Lord at great risk to themselves and were persecuted and oppressed. And so after a year or so of living with this, we decided, you know what we should do? We should contact our mission leaders and tell them that if, uh, if they could find a place for us, we would be willing to serve. And obviously we haven't prepared for that. We never intended to do it. So they're going to tell us, thank you very much. We appreciate your spirit, but we can't use people like you. But when we applied, they, they didn't say that. In fact, they were, they were interested in talking further with us. We didn't feel specifically called to China. We just said, please consider us for an assignment somewhere in the world where there are a lot of unreached people. And uh, we thought we might be heading toward the Soviet Union because it was just opening up at that time in the early 90s. But instead, we ended up 
in China. Now when we use the word unreached, uh, it's important that you understand what we mean by that because uh, there are, you know, you can divide people into three groups. There are those who have heard and believed the gospel and they're now, now part of the family of God through faith. There are those who have heard the gospel, but so far they've said, no thank you, not for me, I choose not to believe it, I still have too many questions, too many uh, obstacles. We don't call those people unreached, we just call them pre-Christians or unconverted. When we talk about an unreached person, we mean somebody who hasn't yet heard. Okay? So that's what we're talking about. Those who haven't, for the first time, heard this story. So uh, we, uh, we went to Taiwan, we went to Hong Kong, we finally ended up in Beijing, and that was always our objective, to be inside mainland China. And we tried to connect with students and young adults because since China's opening up, young people have this opportunity to, to hear about how the rest of the world thinks and lives. And it's not just, you know, the party line and Chairman Mao's quotations and this kind of closed society. Everything is, is on the table now. And so they're intensely curious about other ways of thinking and believing. And they want to know about the West and about our belief system. So we tried to figure out a way that we could connect with students and young adults. And one of the ways we did that was to invite people like you to come to Beijing in the summer for about eight years running. We would have a youth and mission team come and we enrolled them as short-term Mandarin language students at a university. They would live in the dormitory, take their meals in the cafeteria. We asked them to at least pretend like they had an interest in learning to speak Chinese. And uh, what their real purpose was, was to connect with Chinese students on campus. And since Chinese students are all learning English, they've been studying it since middle school, they, they jump at the chance to practice their English with a native speaker. And so while our team members are still trying to get over jet lag, they have these uh, local students coming up to them, wanting to become their friends, hang out with them, go eat, introduce them to Chinese culture. It's a great, great way to uh, engage students. So we would say, invite your new Chinese friends over to our home. We'll, We'll eat pizza, we'll watch movies, we'll play games, and that allowed us to make a connection with them that we could follow up on when the youth and mission team left. It, it was a wonderful, wonderful strategy. And we regularly filled our living room with, with students who uh, were willing to say, we'd like to come to your home and study the Bible and use our English and understand a little bit better what it means to be a Christian. In the summer of 2004, we'd done this for several years, we got our team moved into the dormitory and we had uh, gone through the drill with them you know we told them what they could and couldn't say what they could and couldn't do in China we have to have a platform we can't get a missionary visa they're not open to foreign religious workers and so we have to have some legal occupation that allows us to live there for several years I was heart-to-heart -heart internationals representative we did medical relief projects all over the country and then later I be began teaching in the university there so we so we went through all these security procedures with our students and uh, in the summer of 2004, after they'd been there a few days, they came to me and they said, we're meeting some students on campus who aren't Chinese. And we just wanted to check with you and be sure it was okay that we hang out with them too, because they're really friendly. I said, well, who are they? Where are they from? They said, well, they're, they're Tibetan. And I had never seen Tibetan students on this campus. We found out that through a foundation, Tibetan students from out on the Himalayan plateau had been invited to come to Beijing and study English for a year or two. And I told our, our youth and mission team members, uh, if, you, if you don't understand it, you need to know 
the Tibetan people are one of the least reached people groups in the world. And this is a, is a very special opportunity. You know, by all means, get to know them. And let's see what kind of doors the Lord opens for us. So we followed our usual drill and we invited these uh, Tibetans to our home. Now they're very different from Chinese students. Chinese students have been indoctrinated in a Marxist atheist worldview that teaches them to be very skeptical of any claims to spiritual reality or religious truth. And so we had to work with them and try to overcome some of those barriers because uh, what their heart wanted, their brain would not let them believe. But the Tibetans are very different because they're deeply spiritual and, and very devoted to their brand of Buddhism. They revere the Dalai Lama and they, uh, they're not like the Chinese at all. They're, they're a different, uh, uh, they have different ethnic origin. They look different, they speak a different language, their history is different, but in 1959 China forcibly took over the Tibetan plateau and made it part of China. So now all Tibetans are part of China, though they wish they were not. After we've been meeting with these Tibetan students for a while, I, I got a call from one of them. His name is Wojip. And uh, Wojip said, I'm really enjoying the meetings at your home. Uh, and, you know, talking about culture and family and faith and all that. He said, but I really want to study the Bible seriously. And I wanted to ask you if you'd be willing to do that with me. Now, Wojip's story is not uh, untypical for a Tibetan. He was born out on the Himalayan plateau in the grasslands where Tibetans make their living raising yaks and sheep. They are nomads. They live in tents most of the year. Wojip's mother gave birth to 13 children. Seven of them lived. And Wojip was the middle child. Now, Tibetan parents are not really very uh, excited about letting their children go to school because when the children get an education, they never come back to the grasslands to continue to, to do the family work. They want to live in the town or the city and get other, another kind of job. But Wojip was a very bright child, very inquisitive, and so for years he begged his parents to let him go to school. Finally, when he was 16 years old, they said, okay. And Wojip moved to the town and became a 16-year-old first grader. Now, that's not unusual because this happens in a lot of Tibetan families. He was a good student. He, uh, he went through this accelerated program through primary school, went to middle school, was able to go to high school, not required in China, and even got a university education. Wojip was such a good student that they sent him to the provincial capital where he got a master's degree in the history and culture of his own people, the Tibetan people. And it was when Wojip was in graduate school that he discovered that there, is a, there are other religions in the world, that Tibetan Buddha, Buddhism is not the only way to believe. And he thought, Maybe someday I can travel to one of the big cities of China. And when I get to one of those cities, I know that there are foreigners who live there. And maybe some of those foreigners believe in other religions like Christianity. And maybe I can meet one of those foreigners. And maybe they will be willing to help me understand what Christians believe so that I can know what other people think and believe in this world. And so Wojip's journey had taken him from the grasslands to the school, to graduate school, and finally to Beijing. And he had come into our home, and now he was asking me if I was willing to study the scripture with him. I said, I would love to do that. And so we began to meet every week and read through the Gospel of John. Now you have to understand that 
him reading the Gospel of John would be like me reading the Bhagavad Gita or some obscure scripture of some other world religion. You know, this is all so strange and like a fairy tale to him. But he's intensely curious because here I am, I'm an educated American, and I say, I believe this stuff. And so I'm prayerfully guiding him through the opening chapters of John. And after we had uh, met for several weeks, I said, well, Jip, you've been reading this. I just wonder what you, what you think about it. What are your impressions and questions so far? And he held up the the Chinese New Testament because his English was very poor and I don't speak Tibetan so we were using Chinese to converse. He pointed to the Chinese characters on the front of that New Testament. He said, tell me again what this means. And I said, oh, that's fuin. It means good news. It means the gospel. And he put the book down on the table and he smiled his big Tibetan smile at me and he said, okay, I wait for your gospel. Now, this is one of those experiences that missionaries dream about. You know, you have a Tibetan man sitting across the table from you saying, I wait for your gospel. And what he meant was, just break it down for me. I've been reading this and it's very confusing to me. Just put it in a nutshell and help me understand what this gospel is. And so I chose the simplest words I could find without using religious jargon and tried to help him understand that there's a God who created all things and he loves us like a father. And that he loves us so much he sent his son who was an exact representation of who he is in his heart. And that if we put our faith and confidence in Jesus, that God's love comes into our lives and changes so that we actually become like God. Well, he was taking all this in like a dry sponge. I wish I had time to tell you all of the different chapters of this story. But several months later, we were getting ready to return to the U.S. for a home assignment. And he showed my door one day. He said, I came to help you pack. I said, oh, I, don't need, I don't need help packing. Let's just sit down here and talk. So we sat on the couch and I could tell he, he's, he's making progress. He's, he's starting to talk in different ways. And so I just said, would you? I'd like to ask you a question. After all this study and all of our time together, do you think you've come to the place where you could say that you believe there's a God? And he said, oh yes, I believe in God. Well, I wanted to know what he meant by that. So I said, tell me what you believe about God. And he began to talk in uh, kind of a very spiritual, Buddhist, Christian, some kind of a amalgamation of everything that he had learned in his life about this God that he was beginning to understand. He said, I believe that God is a great spirit. And he's everywhere. And he loves me. And he wants me to know the truth. And he pointed to the Bible on the coffee table and he said, I want to know the truth. And he said, and I want to take the truth back to my people and help them understand the truth. You have to understand how, how far this, this represents that he had come. And so my instinct was just to, you know, to be so full of thanksgiving. I said, well, Jim, I'd like to pray. Would, would you mind if I prayed for you? And he said, sure. So I bowed my head and thanked God for all the light that he was shining in Wojib's life and for helping him to understand truth, you know, continue to help him be with his family back home because he was married with a daughter. And uh, I prayed for him for a few minutes and then I said, Thank you, God. Amen. And when I opened my eyes, I looked over and Wojib had not bowed his head or closed his eyes because after all, who had ever told him you're supposed to do that? In fact, he was just staring at me. You know, he's pretty close to me. His eyes were just full of, of wonder. 
And I realized that for the first time in this young man's life, he had heard someone pray to the God of the universe and say his name in that prayer. And it was just kind of a holy moment. And I didn't just get off the boat. I knew something was happening. God was doing something in his life. I returned to the U.S. and, and got an email from him. It was just a, a few lines long. And you have to understand, for him to write an email in English must have been a, a, a day-long task. But he, he always said, Hello! Hello, my teacher! He called me his teacher. Hello, my teacher! I hope you're doing well in the U.S. He said, I want to thank you for all the things you have done for me. He said, I've had many hardships in my life. And I've had many blessings. He said, first of all, the greatest blessing is the wife God has given me. She loves me. She supports me. She never complains. She always does everything to help me. He said, it's very hard in Tibet or China to find a woman like this. And I wanted to say, anywhere in the world it's hard to find a woman like that. <laughs> and then he said, the second blessing is that God sent his son, Jesus Christ, to show me the truth. And he said, I to follow him and know him. Thank you, my teacher. I've still got that letter. It's a keeper. I will keep it the rest of my life. And so, you know, this, this holy disturbance that God put in our heart when we were way back in Texas and, and just feeling like, it, this can't be right, you know, that there are this many people in the world who've never had an opportunity to hear. And then just to simply say, God, if there's some way you can use us to, to solve this huge God-sized problem, then, then we'd love to go. And then, you know, to have this opportunity to work with people like Wojcik and to see God create in their life this, this hunger. You know, when you talk to people of other belief systems, you have to not only talk, you have to listen. Because I remember one day when we were talking and he started talking to me about reincarnation. I said, you know, I'm a Christian. I don't believe in reincarnation. And he looked at me like, like I'd said I didn't believe in gravity. What? You don't believe in reincarnation? He said, well, there's lots of evidence for that. I mean, it's a, it's a proven fact. I said, well, what do you mean? He said, people remember their past lives. He said, I know lots of people who can tell you details from their past lives and there's proof of this. And, you know, and the lamas at the temples, they all get reincarnated. And, and I said, well, well, Jip, you just need to know that not everybody believes in reincarnation. But you see, here's the point. We have our scriptures that we love. And they have theirs. We have our forms of worship that we love, our songs and our prayers. And they have theirs. Until you've been inside a Tibetan Buddhist temple and listened to the sound of 300 monks chanting in unison, uh, that's, a, that's a, an experience that will send shivers down your spine. They have their religious experiences and we have ours. So when we sit down together, we have to respectfully listen to each other's stories. And in our relationships with people of other religions, we apply the golden rule. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. Do we want them to listen to our story? Then we need to respectfully listen to theirs. But I always feel like I have an ace up my sleeve. Because I believe that the gospel that saves us 
is the truth, the foundational truth of the universe. And so we, we make our respective truth claims, we tell our stories, and we let the truth do its work. We pray that the Holy Spirit will make this truth captivate their hearts. And that's what happened in Wojeb's life. <clears throat> well, he moved back home out on the Tibetan plateau, and I was determined not to let this relationship end, so I went to visit him out there. And, and I said, what, what do your people need the most? How could an organization like mine help you? And so he took me to his school, that school where he went as a 16-year-old first grader. And you wouldn't, you wouldn't believe the, the conditions there and these children who come in from the grasslands and, and the, the unsanitary, un, uh, just no resources, no tools, about 900 students crowding into dormitories designed for half that many. And uh, he showed me some of the ways that we could help. So that was a way to follow up on our relationship. i got a picture here I'd like to show you. Wojib took me to uh, the temple. It's the fourth largest Tibetan Buddhist temple uh, in the world. And uh, I got to meet the, uh, the latest incarnation of the Gangtung Lama, who was the High Lama over that temple. He's a five-year-old boy now. And uh, he's just trying to figure out what it means to be a Lama. And uh, so I took him some gifts, and he put the, the uh, kind of the Tibetan lei around our necks. And the thing I love about this picture is if you looked at it, you, you wouldn't know unless I told you that uh, one of these three is a reincarnated Lama, and the other two are born-again children of the God of Jesus Christ, because that's my friend Wojcik. And uh, he's a trophy of God's grace. So I just want to say to you, God's mission is happening everywhere all the time. It's, it's not just in exotic places like this. Some of you are going to go to Thailand and India and uh, what was the other place? Madagascar? Are you kidding me? What, a, what an opportunity. What an experience. But it doesn't just happen in places like that. It happens in our city, cities. It happens among Native Americans. It happens in all the places where people still haven't heard and received this good news of the gospel. So I challenge you to listen to your heart. Follow your road. Discover how God can use people like you and me in his saving, healing reconciling mission in the world. It's the greatest adventure that you'll ever have. Thanks for listening. <laughs>